I want to start off uh, this morning uh, asking you, do you know how bamboo trees grow? Yeah, I know it's really random, but I'll tell you why I'm asking the question. I found this out in, in James Clear's, bo- uh, Clear's book, uh, Atomic Habits. And here's the cool thing about bamboo trees. When you plant a bamboo tree, you see no growth, absolutely no growth for five years. And the reason is, is these bamboo trees have these ex- this extensive root system. So they're building this root system underneath the ground. And once that is built underneath the ground, you may not see growth for five years, but in a month and a half or six weeks, bamboo trees shoot up to 90 feet in a month and a half. Isn't that crazy? I thought that was fascinating. And the reason I tell you that is because oftentimes you don't see exactly what's underneath the surface, but you do see what's coming outside of you and coming out of you, so to speak. And that's why we're in this message series we've, we've called Habits, which is developing spiritual habits because we want to build a healthy root system, so to speak. The things that you don't even see so that when we need to live our lives, we will have growth, but both inwardly and outwardly. The thing about habits, it's just like this, this root system. You don't see them, and so you don't think anything's happening. Can you imagine planting this bamboo tree and not knowing uh, about its root system, and you're sitting there for five years, you're like, come on. But right when it needed it the most, right when all the root system was in place, boom, the thing shot up. We need to have that in place as well. We want to develop good habits, which is why one of those habits, or what we're calling spiritual disciplines, is meditating on Scripture. Now, I have a feeling the people here don't have a problem with that third word, but there's a problem possibly with the first word, meditation. And a lot of people have an issue with meditation. And so I want to look at two questions right away to help us get over this hump, so to speak, to understand what meditation really is. And the first two is, uh, first questions are, isn't meditation bad? And secondly, why can't I simply read scripture? Why do I have to meditate on it? So here's the first question. Isn't meditation bad? And the the answer to that, the simple answer is no. In fact, studies show when we begin to meditate, there's a shift in our brains. And out of that shift produces health, spiritual health, relational health, physical health. There's a lot of awesome benefits that come from meditation. So at the heart of meditation, no, it's not wrong to do. However... The question we should be asking isn't, is meditation bad? The question we should ask is, why are we doing it? What purpose are we doing it for? And what's the outcome? If we start to ask those kinds of questions, that leads us down to three different paths. So I want to look at these three paths with you to understand this kind of meditation. First of all, there's a non-religious meditation. The second option is this Eastern religion or New Age meditation. And the third is Christ-centered meditation. And I just want to define these just to give you uh, just a working definition of each one of these, all right? Here's the first one, non-religious meditation. When I say non-religious, I mean those who are meditating not for a godly reason or a spiritual reason or a religious reason. They're just doing it for themselves. And they describe this kind of self-meditation as mindfulness, Mindfulness is practiced to obtain a healthy perspective on life, and that leads to peace. 
When we define mindfulness, we're saying literally we're spending time and being mindful on ourselves. So we're putting away distractions and we're being present with ourselves to understand who we are and who we're becoming. We're being in touch with who we are at not just the surface level, but underneath the surface level, getting to know ourselves better. That's mindfulness. The second path of meditation that many of us are probably familiar with is this Eastern religion or this New Age path of meditation, which is emptying the mind and then detaching ourselves from the world, which leads to peace. So literally, when someone is practicing this kind of meditation, they are emptying their minds of anything that's about themselves, especially. They are literally denying their personhood, denying their personality. They don't want anything to do with themselves. They want to empty themselves of themselves. And they want to detach from the world because in their eyes, the world is bad. It's full of pain. It's full of suffering. We want to get away from that. And the way we do that is we go to this other transcendent worldly place, which is called nirvana. Not Kurt Cobain's nirvana. I'm not talking about that. But nirvana. This is this otherworldly transcendent place where at the end the goal is to experience this peace that is called nirvana. This peace that, that literally transcends all things, that sweeps us up into this almost this mindset of the spiritual world that gives us peace whatever we do going forward. That's the Eastern religion or the New Age practice. The Christ-centered practice is just a little bit different. In fact, it's the complete opposite of that practice. It's actually filling the mind with God's word, which leads us to attaching ourselves to Christ, which leads to peace. So instead of emptying our mind of our own personal thoughts, we're actually filling it, we're stuffing it with God's word. And we do that so that God's words become our words and God's ways become our ways. And we're thinking and we're breathing and we're acting out in ways that reflect God's word, which leads us to an attachment to Christ. You see, this is a part where we can have a personality, but our personality is enhanced and filled with color once we attach ourselves to Christ. I, I say it this way, if I'm looking in the mirror and I see myself, I see a reflection of who I am. But this kind of meditation, pretend that you were to draw a, 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 like a cross with a sharpie on a mirror. You still see yourself, right? But you can't help seeing yourself without seeing that cross first, seeing Christ. So I interpret the world, I interpret my relationships, I interpret myself through my identity with Christ that's shaped by his word. Three different paths that lead to three different conclusions. Those conclusions are peace, right? Maybe. I know people who are here today who practice the first two uh, forms of meditation. And I want you to know, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to belittle you. Because my relationship with God is, is mine, and your relationship with God is yours. But I want to just ask you to think about a few things when it comes to this kind of meditation. And would you just compare that to the third form of meditation, which is Christ-centered? Let me, let me put this for your consideration. Um, in the beginning, when we talked about mindfulness, we, we said that it's being present with ourselves in order to become a better person, in order to really grow as a person in our lives. Here's the problem with that. 
I don't know if I could practice mindfulness that would lead to peace because the more mindful I am of myself and I'm being honest with myself, the more I realize I got a lot of junk in my life. (laughs) The more I'm in touch with who I am, I see all the damage that I'm doing inwardly and how that comes outwardly in so many ways. So if I'm practicing mindfulness and I'm really getting in touch with myself and I'm being honest, I'm probably getting in touch with somebody that needs a lot of help and I can't help myself. It's got to come from something on the outside. Or when I'm thinking about the new age or or the Eastern religion uh, path of meditation, that sounds really good, but here's the thing, it's not the real world. I can't escape being a dad. I can't escape being a husband. I can't escape being a pastor. I can go to another world for a little while, but guess what? I got to come back to this world. And I want to go through this world not lacking peace or trying to go to another world to get peace. I need peace now. And I feel like that comes from when we fill our mind with God's truth so we can interpret life's tough circumstances, interpret our own selfishness, interpret our relationships through a lens I believe is the right lens, which is who we are in Christ. And you cannot divorce who we are with Christ and Scripture. It goes together. That's why I'm going to propose to you that we need to meditate on it, which is filling our lives over and over and over and over with his word. But some of you are here and you still probably aren't convinced because you still think meditating on Scripture is just weird and different. And so you're asking the question possibly, why can't I just read Scripture? Why do I have to meditate on it? In other words, some of us have the Bible app on our phones or we we read our daily bread or whatever devotion we find ourselves reading or we come to church and, and we read Scripture on the screen and we're thinking, why can't I just read it? Why do I have to meditate on it? Why do I have to spend so much time in it? Maybe this will help. And you're thinking, how is this helpful? Well, this is a picture of me in college. Not literally me, of course. But in college and seminary, if you were to go in and sneak into the library, I had this look on my face constantly. And the the whole scene really describes me as well. I got my computer open, my notes, got a lot of coffee sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm about to study for a test that I'm probably going to fail. And you just feel so much anxiety about that. Any, anyone here a bad test taker, an anxious test taker? Raise your hand. Okay, so everyone else got, like, good grades on exams? Come on now. Are you serious? Well, I must be one of the only four of you that is a bad test taker. But I literally, I could study for the ACT. You don't even want to know my ACT scores. I don't know how I got into college with my ACT scores. If I had to write a 25-page paper on all of those things, no problem. I'd be in Harvard right now. But I had to, like, convince colleges, beg them to take me because of my ACT scores. And the reason for that I should probably be upfront with is that I had really, really poor study skills. The reason I had poor study skills is because what I wanted to get out of school I didn't go to school to learn. Sorry, Mom. I went to school to get good grades so I had a diploma so I can actually do something with my life. I thought college was a waste of four years. And you may think, well, that's why you are kind of stupid. Exactly. That's exactly why. I wish I could go back in time. I know. My kids will be doing things differently. (laughs) But I was a poor studier when it came to exams. So here's what I would do. So a college professor walks in the first day, 
and you exchange pleasantries, and then they give you what we call a syllabus. And you get the syllabus, and you walk through all the things you have to do for this next semester, and every exam date is usually posted. So really, you don't have an excuse not to study. So let's say college, for lack of uh, argument, starts September 1st this semester, and it's going to end December 15th. On September 1st, I know I have an exam on December 15th, right? Well, here's what I would do. September would go by, October would go by, November would go by, December would go by, until about December 14th at 9 o'clock or so. If I had a date that night, 12 or 1 in the morning or so, I didn't have a lot of dates. So 9 p.m., I started to study. And here I am studying, I'm thinking, okay, I have 12 hours to cram as much information into my brain. And so lined on my desk were coffee mugs and monsters, and I just started to download all of this stuff into my brain. There would be times where I would get to like 3 or 4 in the morning, and I would literally just fall asleep. There were other times when the test was so big, I pushed through, drank more monsters, and just tried to get as much of that stuff in me. Again, it wasn't about learning, it was about getting a good grade. And so finally, I would take the test, and I'm one of those guys, you take a test, and you sit down, and you have it there, and you look at the questions, and everything just escapes you. It's every single time. So I'm looking at the test, and I would take the test. Sometimes I would do really well, and I couldn't wait to tell my parents about it. Other times, my parents didn't know I took an exam. But every time I took an exam, here's exactly what happened, whether I got a good grade or bad grade. If you were to come to me the next day or even a few hours later and you asked me about what I studied, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything. I regurgitated on an exam and I just kind of wiped my brain clean. And I wonder if we do that when it comes to scripture. Can I ask a question? I explained why I did what I did in college. I didn't do it for... Uh, to, to learn it for good grades. Can I ask you, why are you here? Why do you, if you read the Bible, why? If I were to ask you later in the day about the things you read that morning or the night before, could you tell me? More importantly, are you living them out? You see, sometimes we, we read the Bible and we go to church for the wrong reasons. For me, sometimes I feel like if I don't read the Bible, God's going to get really upset at me that day and he's going to not bless me that day. Or I come to church because I have to or my parents make me or whatever it is. Or sometimes I read scripture because I want to be motivated for the day to go out and accomplish my goals and my vision. Let me tell you, and if you want to put me up to be fired after this statement, that's totally fine. I still support it. If you're reading scripture for that way, then I, can I ask you to just stop reading it? And you're thinking, now, you're a pastor. You're supposed to convince me why I should read Scripture. I'm asking you to stop reading Scripture if you're reading it for the ways I just told you. If you think reading Scripture is going to earn the favor of God, if you think reading the Scripture will keep away his, his consequences in your life, if you think reading Scripture at church because it's the right thing to do is why you read Scripture, let me tell you, it will never do what it's called to do. Stop reading it. In fact, there's more, there's more uh, fun books to read than the Bible out there. If you want a really good quote to put on Facebook or Twitter, there's a lot better quotes out there on Google than it is just to throw up a Bible verse. But if you want to read the Bible for it to change your life, then you can't just read it in a way where it just sits up here for a little bit and you 
check it off or you're doing it just to feel better about yourself. God's word is not created to inspire. It's created to change your life. Yes, it will inspire us to be better people, but guess what? If we just look at it in that way and then we bring in our effort after that and not allow God's word to really sit in our lives, we will never be changed. In fact, you want to know how I know if you and I are reading God's word in a way that it's changing our lives? Ask your spouse or your coworkers or the people you don't like. Exactly. So I got a verse for that. If we are demeaning people, we're gossiping about people, for judging people, for looking down on people. You know what happened? We read scripture in a way that the Pharisees did. The Pharisees read scripture for other people. They never let it change their hearts. And this guy named Jesus came around and said, I am so glad you know about scriptures, but let me tell you, you are a hypocrite. God's word is not meant for other people. It starts with us. It must change us from the inside out. And I propose to you that will only happen if we're meditating on a daily basis. And I'll tell you why. First of all, here's what Paul says about this. Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. That word richness, let's think about food for a moment because it's always what I'm thinking about. Are you going to McDonald's drive-thru for a really, really good meal? I mean, listen, I love a double cheeseburger, ketchup only, and fries and Diet Coke from McDonald's like everybody else does. But I tell you what, I'm not going to there to satisfy my taste buds or satisfy my stomach. I'm going there because it's convenient. But I'll tell you what I love is when someone, I'm just putting it out there, pray about it. If this is you to me, let me know. When someone smokes meat for 12 hours or longer. Again, if God is speaking to you to do that for me, that's an answer to prayer. Because once I get that meat, like I'm, I'm stuffing a cheeseburger down my throat just to get it in there because I have other stuff to do. But I'll tell you, you smoke meat, I will sit down and I will just bask in all of its glory. <laughs> or if I go to a meal that's a little bit more expensive that hopefully my parents are paying for, I am definitely going to take in that meal. And there's the difference. If we look at scripture like a fast food restaurant, we'll never see the richness and the fullness of what it would be if we took in some really good prepared food that we allowed to sit on our palate to nourish us in its deepest way. In this rich message, we're talking about Christ. Hello, did you know that you and I are a mess? And did you know that from the moment we were born to the moment we were going to die, we were destined for a place that is in heaven called hell? And thankfully, what Jesus has done for us he spares us not just from a hell for eternity. He spells us for hell on this earth. And the only way we can know that, and not just know that, but live in that, and it becomes our identity, is if this richness fills our lives. And this word fill, it's a verb. It's an action word. It is to permeate our souls and saturate our souls. In fact, if you look a little bit deeper, the word literally means to make its home in us. And this word is a transformational word. It's all about life change. Let me ask you, 
is God's word making its home in you? I'm not saying making a visit in your life. Is it in your life living in you so it will come out of you? It's the reason why Richard Foster in the Celebration of Discipline says this. The authors of scripture refer to this idea of meditation 58 times. In each case, in each case, there is stress upon change behavior as a result of our encounter with the living God. If you're looking for a book that will give you a bunch of information and that will entertain you, that's why God created newspapers, magazines, and novels. If you're bored and you want to look at something, go on your news feed. It's probably more uh, interesting than what the Bible has to say. Because scripture isn't about information. It's about transformation. If you want this thing to change you from the inside out, you can't approach it like a fast food joint. It has to live in you. We savor it. And the only way we do that is by meditating on it. And if you think I'm too extreme, ask Joshua in the Old Testament. Here's Joshua. He's about to take over for one of the greatest leaders in history, not just biblical history, but history. His name's Moses. Moses did a lot of great things. He led the Israelites so far, and then he dies. And then Joshua has to fill in for him. And the first thing Joshua does as a leader is not to develop relationships. It's not to set small goals in order to reach them. It's not to change the culture of the company. It's literally to lead the Israelites into the promised land. This is a really, really, really big deal for these Israelites. And Joshua is the one to lead them. How does he do it? You guys ever watch the movie, Remember the Titans? Good, two of you did. All right. I'll, let me tell you about it. You guys tired? It's a beautiful day out. Come on, it's 10 o'clock. So I watched it with my son the other day. He was playing some game. I was watching it. And uh, Coach Boone, played by Denzel Washington, has this plan from the beginning to take these segregated people, black and white, and to bring them together, not just for football unity, but for life unity, and then to win a championship, both in life and in football. And that's what happens. Sorry to spoil the movie for you. But he had this message and pumped these guys up all the time, and his message was consistent all throughout. And for Joshua, before he's about to do something incredible, God acts like Coach Boone and says, listen, you are about to do something incredible. And his message is consistent with what's about to happen. Here's what he says. God says to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. He says it twice here. We'll see it again in another verse or two. At the end of Joshua chapter one, the people are listening to this interchange between God and Joshua, and they say, Joshua, if you live this out, you go ahead and be strong and courageous. You lead us well. So in the matter of one chapter, this is repeated to Joshua four times, three times from God, and one time from the people he's leading. And this is how he does it. Before I tell you, how do you do it? What's your plan to be strong and courageous? And you may have said, I've never really thought of a plan to be strong and courageous. But here's the thing. You act on it every single day, whether you recognize it or not. There are big decisions in our lives that some of you are facing right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Relationally, financially, when it comes to a job, 
When it comes to whatever that thing is, you know that you have a decision to make that you have to be strong and courageous. But can I put this to you? Also, getting out of bed takes a lot of strength and courage, doesn't it? Being a faithful husband takes a lot of strength and courage. Being a kind dad who doesn't berate their kids takes a lot of strength and courage. To be a faithful mom or a kind friend or a loyal and truthful coworker in this culture, to do it Christ's way takes a whole lot of strength and courage. Where does yours come from? What's at the top? That even if everything else fails, this won't. Joshua says this, or God says this to Joshua. If you want to be strong and courageous, don't come to me with a leadership plan. Don't come with whatever your, your leadership identity is. I want to know if you are being careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. His word. And listen, you don't deviate from them turning either to the right or to the left. How many times you and I are reading the Bible and we like what it says, but then we read something that we don't like and you know what, we're gonna go this way or that way. God says that's not gonna work because if we do that, we'll never be successful. But if we not deviate from them, we will be successful in everything we do. He says, Joshua, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate. This is out of God's mouth. If you have a problem with meditation, you talk to God about it. God says to chew on it, to let it make its home in you, to savor it all day and all night. Not when we go to bed, not when we before a meal, not when we come to church. All day and all night, his word must be in us so that we'll be sure to obey it. Because you know what happens when we obey it? Only then. Will you prosper and be successful in all you do? Again, my command to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. What is your plan? If you are telling me it's scripture, I believe you. But as you look back at your life, does it line up with that? I'm not talking about finding a verse on Google that applies to your life and then living out of your strength the rest of the time. I'm not talking about coming to church on a Sunday to fill your tank so that by the time you get home, your tank's already half empty. I am asking, is God's word living in you so that even if you're in a bad mood or a good mood, even when things are rough or things are good, if someone bumps into you, what comes out? If it's a fast food approach to the scriptures, it'll always be what we think of ourselves or what the world thinks of us. And good luck with that. Because that will lead to a whole different life of insecurity you don't want to come back from. But when you're secure in Christ because we're in his word and the richness of who he is is living in us and it's making its home in us, watch out. Because you're about to change people's lives starting with yourself. Is it in us? I don't care if you read the Bible in a year. Awesome. But is your life changing in that year too? If not, go do read something else. It needs to be in us, coming out of us. So let me just give you a few ways to do that. How do we develop this habit? The first is we don't wait for motivation. We embrace discipline. 
I can't tell you how often on a Friday when I wake up, I am so motivated to eat a salad for dinner. And then, through the temptation of Satan, I get all of these pizza coupons in my email on Friday afternoon. And by the time I come home, I have forgotten a salad, and I have increased my pizza order. And so I eat pizza all night and feel sick about it. I was motivated in the morning. I was feeling good. I'm ready to go. Let's eat a salad. And by the end, I ate pizza. Why do I tell you that? It's because if you're waiting to feel good, to read the Bible, you won't. You want to know why? Because maybe you're like me. I'm selfish. I'm tired. I'm busy. I have other things I do in my life. If I don't discipline myself, which means doing what we don't always want to do to get the results we want to see, If you and I will discipline ourselves to read the scriptures every single day in a way that it goes into our hearts and comes out in our lives, it will change everything. Oh, by the way, if you're busy and you have an iPhone, could you swipe this way and look at your screen time? Go down to the entertainment part and you tell me if you're too busy for God or not. I have a lot of time in the morning where I can spend God's word and all of a sudden I'm reading the news, reading about how awesome the Browns are going to be this year, reading my email, reading um, our inner office tool that we use called Slack. And by the time I get out of bed, I'm already stressed, I'm already worried, I'm already fearful. I'm, I'm done. You and I have time. Where is that time? Discipline yourself. The second thing is read the text slowly intentionally and repeatedly. This is not a novel. This is our breath, our oxygen that we breathe. This is the blood that pumps through our hearts. And we don't rush that process. We do it slowly, intentionally, and repeatedly. Well, how do you do that? Well, you ask really good questions of the text. And in your um, sermon notes, in your welcome program, I gave you those, these questions. What does it say about God's character? How does it point me to God's grace when I mess up all the time? What does it say about me? And then what are my next steps as a result of living out this truth? I'll get back to this in a moment. And then finally, and I alluded to it a little bit ago, you make it the last thing you read at night and the first thing you read in the morning. Do you know your subconscious does not turn off when you're sleeping? And studies tell us the last thing we put into our brain or the thing we were preoccupied throughout the day with will continue to work in us. That's why some of us wake up in the middle of the night panicking or fearful or worried. We wake up already in a bad mood. It's because have we allowed God's word to shape us even when we're sleeping? And when we grab our phones in the morning, is it for our news feeds? Is it for Facebook? Is it for our email? Or is it God's word. It will change the way you see everything if it lives in you morning and night. And so what I want to do just for the last few minutes, I want to take those questions that we talked about in number three. I just want us to slow down and read this text repeatedly and ask questions about the text. And you may say, I know this verse. Well, just give it a moment. (laughs) Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. If you've done all of these things and you are really good at it, you don't have to read it. But if you could learn something from this and it could change who you are on the inside out, let's just take a few moments and 
ask ourselves these questions as we walk through this text together. In the mornings when I actually discipline myself and I'm not waiting for motivation, I get up in the morning, I get my Bible, I get a cup of coffee, I sometimes go outside if it's nice, I take my laptop and I pray, I type up my prayers because if I uh, write them out, my hand cramps. If I do them in my mind, somehow I end up with pizza, which I just love pizza. Maybe I need to present that before the Lord, but my mind goes in weird directions. And so I tap out my prayers and open my Bible. Uh, I had it bookmarked to Philippians for something else I was doing. I was going to go back to something else. And God's like, no, 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 Philippians 2.3. I'm like, I already know Philippians 2.3. So I started to type it out. And so I wrote it out a couple different times. And I started to focus on some of the things it said. And I wish I could show you what my prayer is. It's on my prayer um, document if you want to see it. God literally said, you are so selfish when it comes to your kids because all you want to do is control your life and anger, which comes out of a something else, is affecting your kids because when they touch you, when you don't want to be touched, so to speak, anger comes out because you're losing the control that you want. And God said, Eric, are your kids more important than you? Are my coworkers more important than me? Are the people that I don't like and disagree with more important than me? Because Paul doesn't give caveats. If you've got this thing in your life and it's already there, congratulations. It isn't for me yet. So I have to allow it to shape my thoughts. Because if not, the actions that come out are going to be a wild card. And I can't have that in my life when it comes to my wife and kids who have been entrusted to me. Scripture isn't about information. Go read a newspaper. You want it to change your life? Let it live in you. Let it transform your life. Let's pray together. So Lord, we give ourselves to you. And man, can we just all admit, Lord, we are selfish, especially when it comes to our time and we always say we don't have time for you, but we sure have time for a workout. We have time uh, to, to prep our meals. We have time to waste on our internet or on our phones. We have time to waste on our TV. We have time to waste all the time. But when it comes to being with you, we don't. And God, how often do we get mad at you for not speaking when I wonder if you're saying to us, I am. You're not listening. Hearing and doing are attached to your word. Make its home in us, Lord, through your word. Change our lives from the inside out, God. We pray in your name. Amen.